my early years, I remember having quite a privileged life, but my parents were constantly fighting. So I was living in a house that was um, full of domestic violence. And being in the next bedroom, listening to my dad beat my mum constantly, I didn't. Re I realise now, but at the time, you don't realise what damage it's doing to someone so young. And um, I think the earliest I can remember this is like eight, nine years old. Anyway, as soon as my teenage years come, I started running away. And um, I just wanted to get out of the house, I think. I just wanted to escape. And listening to that constantly in my younger years, when I look at my life now and what I went through, it really did, I think, determine my future. And um, so from the ages of 13, I was, um, I'd started smoking drugs, hanging around with boys. I was, um, I was also getting bullied at school. I think because I was from a privileged background, my grandparents had racehorses. I was always at their house and um, I, was, I, got, I was quite spoiled. But it didn't make up for what I was going through mentally at home. So um, it was like... I was very, very, very bullied at school for, for just wearing something nice. So I learned quickly how to, def to learn how to defend myself. I always seemed to be running away and um, I ran away all my life. So um, the running away carried on, the crime started. By the age of 14, I'd been arrested for 36 burglaries. I was the only girl in a group of boys. So you can see how it was going. And um, I got a probation for this. And my probation officer used to touch me up, copper feel, and give me a fiver. So I learned then that if I just let him have a grope, I could get a bit of money, buy some drugs. So it was all escape. It was all it, that's all it ever was, escape. And um, by the age of 16, I was pregnant, baby and a boyfriend that was beating me up. So I'd done exactly what, I was used, what, I'd, what I'd grown used to, I'd done. So anyway, after three years of him beating me up, I start, I, I, well, I got into a battered wives home in Oxford. All that did was educate me that I could get away and I could run even further if I needed to. And in this, this instance, I could escape all my debts, escape probation, escape everything, and start again. And that's what I've done now all my life until six years ago. I um, landed in a city not far from London and um, got myself with a, got myself involved in a new with a new boyfriend, who who later went on to start beating me up. So it was another violent relationship. So it's like what you know when you're growing up. That's what you will know when you're older. It's like that's what I I thought. That's what love was and. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't understand any other way. So I had two children of this man who constantly beat me. But while this was going on, my crime wave still didn't ever stop. I, I'd started to sell drugs by now. So I was selling hashish from small amounts. I went on to kilos. So I, I was making quite a lot of money um, until one day that um, this children's father of mine decided that he was going to give me a kick in on my birthday because I had a new leather jacket that my mum had bought me. So um, he woke me up in the middle of the night, actually. It was three o'clock in the morning. He came in and he started punching me. 
I ran into the street and a man across the road opened his door where I ran in. It was like, um, it was pretty bad. He chased me with a carving knife as I ran out, the, out, ran, ran out into the street. It's just like, how could someone feel that much anger towards someone they're meant to love? But anyway, that was it. That was the last time. I never went out with him again and I never went out with any other man that beat me again. Anyway, from that, because I was selling drugs and I'd got rid of him, I was like, thought I was Billy Big Spuds now. Started going out with a new geezer that um, was already selling. So we put our money in, started buying even more. We went on a trip to London one day um, to buy a couple of kilos and um, we'd all put our money in. And on our way there, I started to say like, I started to get doubts of who is this people we're meeting and I didn't like the sound of it. By the time we'd got to uh, Camberwell in London, very rough area about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I, um, I decided that I'd take my money out, you know, having my money. So I took my money out and um, we was arguing in the car. Anyway, he went off, they, the, him and his friend went off to buy the drugs. And the girl that was driving was just this little young girl on crack. She was about 18. Daddy had bought her a new Renault Turbo. And um, she didn't have a clue. And I was telling her, move the car, move the car. And she just wouldn't move the car. And uh, we ended, I ended up screaming at her to move the car because this was just taking long and long and long. And I just didn't know where we was and what was going on. And eventually when she did move the car up the road, I could see down the road that my boyfriend was staggering, running up the road. So we drove, dragged them in the car, and I was late to find out that he had seven holes in him, stab holes, stab wounds, and um, he'd been ammonia in his eyes, and he'd had his dreadlocks cut off, and the other guy had had his throat cut. So I had to get us back down the motorway, bleeding all over me, and I had to dump one at one end of the road and one at the other, and get myself home. I didn't know whether they were gonna die, but. That's the life I lived. It was crime. I couldn't trust the, I didn't trust the police and that's how I'd learnt to live my life. So that went on. Um, after that, because of the money I'd left, I, um, my, well, a friend of mine owned um, saunas all over the country. So I'd begin to know a bit about that. And so I thought, right, I'm gonna open a brothel. So I decided to open a brothel I was one of the first ones in this city, and uh, this was 25 years ago. I think now they've got like 100, and probably they've got a beat as well. So I probably ruined that city, but it, um, it kind of went in hand in hand, because when I started owning brothels and running prostitutes, I was now on cocaine and smoking crack. So I'd gone up a league, really, but down a league because there was nowhere else to go. Um, crack became my life. My children, I, they now had au pairs. I never used to go home. I would send them pizzas in taxis with money shoved in pizza boxes. And um, I lived in hotels. I used to, um, just uh, all the money I ever made, I spent on cocaine. But being on crack out my head every day and by this stage, I was like crawling around the floor, picking up anything I could find on the floor uh, to smoke and um, be staring out of windows constantly for like 12 hours, bur burning holes in curtains, playing, you could play dot to dot on the curtains. Um, 
where I'd be standing there waiting for drug dealers and think, thinking the police were coming to get me. And it was just mad. And I used to pay, what, £300 a day to get like that in that state. But um, anyway, um, that was it. I had to get out. And um, I ended up doing another runner with the kids, leaving my council house behind and everything. So I'd landed in London now with three children, got myself into the, a crack rehab, one of the first ones in England. Um, it was like, well, it was six months of hell, really, because when I came out that rehab, I was now on a glass pipe and a Bunsen burner. So I'd gone up a league. I thought I'd seen it all, but I hadn't been in London before. So I'd now, I was now selling crack in Charing Cross on the streets of London with people jacking up in alleyways in front of me and I, I thought I, th I just couldn't believe where I'd got myself. I, um, I was even selling, um, delivering guns and bullets from Harlesden and I, I just couldn't believe what I'd, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I think if I hadn't been on crack I wouldn't have survived it. So I didn't realise that you know, how bad it was. While you're taking crack, that's all you think about. Drugs, drugs, drugs. Nothing else but drugs, drugs, drugs. And you pay so much money to get in that horrific state. And um, that's, that's what I did, day in, day out. That went on and on and on. Anyway, in the meantime, I'd got hold of this skeezer, this rich guy, and um, I got him to give me 15 grand. And I opened a new brothel. Um, I opened a shop. And um, that shop went on for nine years. But within a year of me getting that shop, and still, uh, I'd cut the crack out, but I was, I was now sniffing cocaine constantly all day long. I found out I had cancer. And um, my cancer was that bad that um, they thought that was it. Anyway, um, I got rushed in, operated on. They took out all my right side, my kidney, adrenal glands, lymph nodes, the whole lot and told me that I had to have scans every three months because it was uh, quite a serious cancer. So that went on. Um, that didn't stop me, though. Within weeks of coming out of hospital, I was back on cocaine. And then um, three years, I think it was, three years later, when I decided that I'd do a, sell a, ki a kilo of cocaine to somebody. And... Um, Cut a long story short, I was um, kidnapped outside my shop. I was taken off by two black men where I was pistol whipped in the head and I'm um, dumped in a side road. And um, I'd wet myself in the fear, with the fear. And um, I couldn't leave it, I, had, I couldn't run. I had two yardies sat in my shop that was full of prostitutes and I've just lost 26,000 pounds of their money. And um, what could I do? There was nothing I could do. I had to go back there. Within nine months of that happening, I lost my um, business. I couldn't cope no more with it. I'd never worked before as a prostitute. I'd always sold girls. But because of that happened in my shop, I now had to work. I had to sell myself. And I was like 40 years old. And I think now when I look back, I was just in shock. I was in total shock. When I was kidnapped, my cancer had spread to my lung. My, I'd just had my lung out and it was six weeks before I was pistol whipped and kidnapped. 
So being told I had lung cancer as well, being kidnapped by Yardis, being a drug addict for like 30 years of my life, I didn't know what day of the week it was. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know no one. I didn't speak to my mum and dad for 20 years. And when I, um, after about nine months after being kidnapped, I just had a breakdown. I had a mental breakdown. And I gave everything up. But what I was frightened of is that I still owed like this £4,000 to Lloyd's Bank that there was no way of me paying it unless I sold myself. So anyway, because well, of this breakdown, I ended up in the medical, with med you know, in the medical profession and um, I got put into um, a drug rehab that was just for people with mental health issues. Because by now I had quite a few, quite a list full. The day I got out of that rehab, my friend had told me she had to go to a church in Kensington and um, that I was going to bring her to it. And I said, well, why am I going to take you to that church, really, you know? And she said, because it's in Kensington. I don't live in London and you, got, you live in Kensington, so you're going to take me. And so um, I did. And when I walked into this church, I felt I was going to burst into flames, really, you know? I thought, a wretch like me. But um, I did, and um, I couldn't stand there with everybody jumping up and down. I couldn't handle all that. You know, you don't have to do all that. You know, church isn't just for them people. Church is for everyone, and that's what I learned. I, it took a while to learn that, but I did. And while in that church, I found a leaflet, because I couldn't stand with that. Like, I went wandering around, and um, I found a leaflet for the recovery course, which I did. When I got to the recovery group, I was in a very bad way. But now I can look back and see that and understand everybody that walks in that door so well. But it didn't, Jesus thing just didn't happen to me straight overnight. It really didn't. If you look back over my life, it, it just wasn't going to happen that way. I felt dirty. I felt wrong. I felt, how could I be forgiven? And this forgiveness was the main thing for me to deal with because I could go to church every Sunday and every Thursday and, I, and ask for forgiveness, but I just didn't feel it was real. It wasn't happening for me. And um, so I started to do more, more things. I started to get, well, this is probably on the second year. It, uh, it really slow for me. Some people can get it really quick. But for me, it took a lot of time because I just couldn't get round this forgiveness. How could he forgive me? So I started to involve myself more. I wanted, I'd got a thirst for knowledge now. I wanted to know more about this Jesus and who he was and why is he going to forgive me? And um, I, so I signed up for everything. I was doing the Alpha course. I did the theology course. I was, doing, I was there for an opening of an envelope. If I could get involved in it, I would. And that was the main thing about it in the first year. I just kept thinking, why doesn't no one speak to me? But that's what you've got to do. You've got to involve yourself in it because the more you involve yourself in it, the quicker you learn. And it might sound silly, but when I was doing the Alpha course and it, I was trying to learn about this forgiveness, I actually went home and I Googled, how do you explain forgiveness to a child? Because I felt absolutely stupid. I felt illiterate. I didn't understand anything. I knew about crime, weights and measures counting money 
I just didn't know, I just didn't understand anything. Everything just sounded a blur and I needed to land and, um, and that's what I did. I Googled how to teach Jesus to a child and it's like, it was just amazing because I really did understand then, the penny dropped and um, sorry. Yeah, so um, that's what I did and I'm not ashamed to say it and what I started to do next was to be like, help her. I didn't think I was capable of that, how can I help anyone? But it was the best thing because by helping others, it helps you understand more and when you give, that's when you get blessed and I know the Lord has blessed me, I, I, you know, how can I still be alive? How can I be saved, a wretch like me? I just can't, you know, he, he saved me so many times. And if I can't help someone by passing this on and showing what Jesus has done for me, then, then I wouldn't feel full. That's my journey and that's my job. I just know that he's all over me now. Whereas I felt I had the devil clinging to my back and I couldn't shake him off. But I haven't now. I've got, I, I just glow inside, I know I do. I've got Jesus in me. He's obviously saved me for so many times. There's, there's nowhere else I can go and I'll never go back to that way of life again.